10 and verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. We're starting a new topic today. Uh, we've finished up bearing one another's burdens and taking a look at the birth of the Messiah. And now we're going to take a look at what it means to encourage one another. Uh, we have, uh, this, this is a very important topic. And uh, sometimes we forget about it. All we want is encouragement coming our direction. But we are all called and commanded basically by God to be encouragers to other people. Now, it's, it's not a mechanical type of thing. Uh, there's not a lot of things that you just memorize and say, I'm going to go encourage you. Because have you ever tried to do that? I know sometimes us guys get in a, get in a, a funk and we try to encourage our wife. And, and it doesn't work. It's kind of like, don't do this. Don't make me a target. Don't make me a goal. Don't do such things. But what we what we need to do is learn how to encourage one another in the everyday business of life itself. And we're going to get some pointers here from the Scripture itself. Obviously, the best place to go is to the Word of God. So before we begin, let's just take a moment for silent prayer to prepare ourselves to study the Word of God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this day, once again, for your grace and mercy and love. And Father, thank you for the plan uh, that decided that the Holy Spirit would give each of us a gift to use, give each of us a ministry to be a part of, and Father, that uh, you would work out the results. So Father, I pray as we come here today, we would be better equipped when we leave to go forth and be the encouragers that you have called us to be. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Encouraging one another, I, I was looking for a good picture to put up here on the front thing, and I thought, that's kind of it, isn't it? Christian life, just a bunch of stragglers beat up, uh, harmed by war. <laughs> and that's kind of where we are, right? I mean, all of us have been through the battles. And um, uh, the fact that we're sitting here this morning is a tribute to God's grace, uh, if nothing else. That's just what we are. So encouraging one another, it's an important business. And I looked at, the, I saw this picture and I thought, yeah, that's the way it is. Soldiers in war. We have many analogies to Christians being soldiers in a, in a war, in a battle. And here we are, and part of getting in that war and that battle is you, you might get hurt physically, you're going to get hurt mentally, you could get hurt spiritually, there's all kinds of ways, but that's a pretty good example of what it means to just stay there with your brothers and sisters and be able to offer up words of encouragement. Now, <clears throat> some Christians feel like, uh, as individual believers, they don't need other Christians in their lives in order to grow. Uh, I know at one time I was basically taught that you don't need anybody else in your life to grow. Well, it's kind of a actually a balance between Galatians 4 and 5. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. But it also says in there that you not, each person needs to carry their own load. And see, there's a balance of that. If we set out to carry our own load by ourselves with nobody else, it's just going to take us longer to get there what it's going to do is we need to work together we are part of a body one body that makes up the, the the body of Christ now oftentimes this attitude stems from an overreaction to an overreaction where some Christians have developed 
a, a over-dependence on other people rather than on Jesus Christ. Okay, so part of the, the way of handling that, some pastors have said, you don't need anybody else. You don't need anybody to keep, keep quiet, shut up, come in, take, take notes, and go home and leave everybody else alone. But that's not what the scriptures say. Uh, they also, in this process, can develop an over-dependence on themselves. And I think we're seeing the result of that in our culture today. Because when we become overly dependent on somebody else, um, shrinks call it codependency. And that's damaging. It's not a good thing because you're looking to somebody else to fill a need in your life that only God can fill. So we as Christians have to realize that this hole in us, this hole in our soul, God is the only one that can properly fill it. But he's called us to, to work with one another, to, to call each other alongside. And I, I like that picture too because they were all alongside. Did you notice that? They, they weren't really out walking by themselves. They were helping one another. And that's what the word encouragement literally means. The facts are that great portions of the New Testament clearly emphasize that Christians do need one another in order to grow spiritually as they should. While we're told to bear our own load, because sometimes you might be hurting and you want a word of encouragement more than anything else in the world and nobody gives it to you. And the next step that happens is, I don't need it. I don't want it. They can go jump in the lake. I mean, this is, nobody's going to help. Nobody cares. And then you see a verse that says, that's not an excuse. <laughs> you have to carry your own load. If nobody's there, it's still up to you. But we should assemble with one another. And this is where it comes from. We actually need the ministry of other people in our lives. Why do we need that? Well, you put some other theology together here and you find out and you start thinking about spiritual gifts. Now, spiritual gifts, each believer gets a spiritual gift the moment they believe in Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, the Holy Spirit says, you've got this. Okay, You don't get to pick. You don't get to return it. It's not like Amazon. You can't call back say, Holy Spirit, I don't like this gift. Give me something else. Can't trade them in and move them around for others. You're given a gift. I believe one gift at the moment of salvation. In any effect, nobody has all the gifts. Okay? So if you don't have all the gifts and all the gifts are needed to, to make the body work, you need other people with other gifts functioning around you. So there is definitely a, a need. I see that the, the gifts um, working together prepare us together to share this message we've got. To keep going and keep telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, encouraging others is important ministry. That's what it is. It's an important ministry. Some are gifted as encouragers. There's some people you probably know in your life, and they, when they show up, you're encouraged just by the fact that they, but by the fact that they've shown up. Some people always seem to have the right word for the need of the moment. They always seem to to just be there at the right time. They always seem to say, "Well, I'm praying for you," or whatever it is, and it's at the right time. Some people have the gift, but all of us are called to encourage one another. 
whether or not we have a gift. That's the way spiritual gifts work. You might have a gift of administration, but we're all called to be somewhat organized. You might have a gift of teaching, but by this time you ought to be teachers, Hebrews 5.12. We're all called to teach, but you may not have that gift. Some people may have the gift of pastor. Okay, but all are called to shepherd those allotted to their charge. So the gifts, and the spiritual gift is an ability to excel in an area that is not that is not made by human means. It's a spiritual gift. Okay, so we need each other because the Holy Spirit is working within us and therefore able to encourage one another. Now, it's true, it's important ministry, not just because the Scripture tells us to think about it, because it but because it represents the unique value of Christian fellowship. Unique value. And I think we got a picture of that during the pandemic, whenever it was, you know, do we need to stay home, do we not need to stay home? We were actually opened up early compared to a lot of, a lot of churches, because I think we were... We took off for a period of time, and then we uh, got together. Jimmy and Roger Muller, I had come over here and record a message for Sunday morning on Saturday, and then we put it out on the Internet for Sunday morning. And uh, we, we got through that way, and then we started meeting again for those who wanted to meet together back in May. So we we went pretty fast based on what I've heard from a lot of other churches. But what happened was people got used to not coming together. Now, while there is importance in having uh, videos and Vimeos and tapes and all those other things, that's important. It's still not quite the same as being in the presence of somebody. It can't take the place. Now, we should have relationships, and I've got a lot that are developed long distance by... uh, We did away with Skype because it was insecure but we did a we're able to talk with people we'll put things out on vimeo and we're able to keep somewhat of a relationship but getting together is still important because i'll tell you you're all messed up and so is your pastor <laughs> say iron sharpens iron so we need to we need to be around each other has anybody ever just graded on you well maybe we need that 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 polishing, if you will. Whenever they polish a gemstone, they put it in a tumbler and they leave it. And it just bangs around, bangs until it bangs all the, the rough edges off of them. And that's kind of the way we are. We just get thrown around in this life and do that. But then if, we're, if we are friends and we are family and we come together, we have the opportunity to be an encourager to, to other people. Now, <clears throat> the Christian has a unique distinction of knowing that when he spends time with another Christian, they can have an eternally significant impact on one another. Eternally significant impact on one another. And you start thinking about it, there are some people with all of us along the way that inputted into our lives. It could be our parents, could be a teacher, could be a coach, could be any number of people friends that you had and they had a word of encouragement at the right moment that eternally affected your soul 
Now, we have that opportunity to, to do that because it's, it's used to change lives. So, meeting together and offering the word of encouragement is something that can eternal, eternally affect uh, uh, everybody, anybody, anywhere. Difficulties along the path of obedience in the Christian life. Now, some people are saved and satisfied, and they just don't care, but God doesn't want... Uh, he, he says, be ye holy as I am holy, and he's talking to believers. Okay, We can't ever achieve that level of holiness that he had because he never lost his. We were born without it. So we have to keep growing in that. But there is a matter of obedience, and it can weaken a person's determination to follow Christ. Sometimes it seems like we're just getting the snot beat out of us from time to time, and we just don't know what's going on. We think we're doing it right, and, and it, it's all bad coming our way. Well, guess what? The Lord said, in this world you have trouble. <laughs> it's not like he left anybody unprepared. He said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. Get used to it. And that's becoming more and more manifest and, and present. Now, therefore, in our application of brotherly love, which we know is the second greatest commandment, uh, it should be to encourage one another to not give up. Don't give up. Hebrews 3, verse 12. Go ahead and I ask you to keep your finger there at Hebrews 10 and go back to Hebrews chapter 3 first. And it says there in Hebrews 3, 12, Take care, brethren, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Partaker has to do with inheritance. Now, what's this book to, the Hebrews? What were they interested in? Inheritance. What should we as Christians be interested in? Inheritance. And he says, you need to hang on to it. You as a Christian have an inheritance out there, but you could be like the parable of the prodigal. Because what did he do? He took dad's inheritance, he went off, and he wasted it. And then he came back. And daddy accepted him. He was still his son. He welcomed him and killed the fatted calf for him. But the inheritance was gone. Doesn't say he restored it. Doesn't say he split it again with the younger brother that was kind of petty about the whole thing. But it, it, he, he, he squandered away his inheritance. It's the same thing. You and I as believers have riches stored up for us in heaven already. Because the omniscient God knows what you're going to do, what you're not going to do. But from our perspective, we have all the we have more riches than we can possibly ever think of. And he says, you can squander these away. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, lest after preaching to others I myself be disqualified from one of the crowns he's talking about there. He's saying we can, we can lose it. We can't lose our salvation. That's the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1, 
1 Corinthians 3 at the gold, silver, and precious stones saved so as by fire. That can happen. We got in and we're, we're saved. Uh, the old preacher I grew up under said by the skin of our teeth. You know, we got in. Of course, he was kind of works-based. But by, by the grace of God, we're just saved and, and that's it. He said, we become partakers of Christ, inheritors. If we hold fast the beginning, that's endurance, perseverance. That's not to keep our salvation. That is just to thank God for our salvation. Now, back in chapter 10, we're to give serious thought how we can encourage one another. Serious thought to it. Now, oftentimes... We get up in the morning and we start thinking about what do I need to do. And we should. We need to get up. All of us have a sequence, I'm sure. Uh, Sometimes we get up and we get out of sequence and things get left undone. Like the notes from the first class. Okay. I will get those fixed. But sometimes we wake up and we've got a sequence Well, we get up, we go to the bathroom, we put the coffee on, we've got this sequence, and what happens if the phone rings? And it changes our sequence. The other day, I forgot to eat breakfast. I don't need to not eat breakfast. Okay, but I forgot to eat breakfast. Wasn't very much, but I just left it laying there, because with breakfast comes some pills. And those pills, I needed more than I needed the breakfast. But when you get out of sequence, sometimes you don't do it. Now, what if we get up out of bed like the scripture says, and present our bodies a living holy sacrifice. And maybe the first thing that goes through our head is going to be, how can I serve somebody else today? We go ahead and do the things we need to do, each one looking to yourself. We go ahead and do that, but we consider other people more important than us. Philippians 2, 3. That's the attitude of Jesus Christ. So we're supposed to give serious thought to this. So go to Hebrews 10, if you would. Uh, I I love Hebrews chapter 10. We've been overseas many times. We've taught a lot of pastors, different countries. And, and of course, we believe that when you're saved, you're saved and you can't lose it. And most of them don't believe that. And so as soon as we start talking, we, we get Hebrews 10, 26. Those who go on sinning willfully after receiving a knowledge of the truth. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. They think that means loser salvation. And they bring this up, and I say, I'm glad you asked that question. Because we're going to show you what it means to interpret by context. There's no longer a Levitical offering like the Jews were bringing so that they could go ahead and sin and then bring the offering. There's There's no more offerings left. Levitical systems over and done with. So you can't play games or try to with God anymore. It's just gone. So that's why that statement is in there. But look what comes before it. Now, earlier in the chapter, 10.10, there's one sacrifice for sins for all time. And that comes from the Lord himself. That's why he is the object of our faith. He alone paid a debt that we couldn't pay He alone redeemed us from that sin. And by simple faith in Him, it is a matter of your eternal salvation. Now, Hebrews 10, 19, he's saying, Since therefore, brethren, 
we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now, the holy place to a Jew, remember, he's writing Jews. And if, you, if you're trying to read this and you don't know anything about the Old Testament, and you just decide, I'm going to read through the Bible, and you open up to Hebrews, you're going to be clueless going through the book of Hebrews, what it's trying to say. Because it is all connected back into the Old Testament. first two chapters are about the superiority of Christ. The next two chapters are about the superiority of Christ over the Mosaic Law. And then it moves in the superiority of Christ from 5 through 9 over the Levitical priesthood. So it is all about who is superior to what, and it's all about Messiah. Then he gets to chapter 10. He's the one sacrifice for sin for all time. And it's a, and, and by the way, I just got that done yesterday, so it'll be up on the website soon, and you can go through all the notes, 340 pages of them or so. You can go through all the notes verse by verse and, and see what it's, what it's got to say. In any event, he says, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place. Now, if you're a Jew, you're going, What? Because the Levitical priest couldn't enter the holy place. Only the Levitical priest could on certain times of the year. But who are we? We're believers. Okay, but it's the church age. Only priests could enter the holy place. The only way you could enter the holy place is if you're a priest. So you, as a church age believer, according to Peter and 1 Peter 2, are a royal priest of a universal priesthood after the order of Melchizedek of Jesus Christ. That's chapter 5 to 9 of Hebrews. And so he says, now you have confidence you can walk right on into the holy place. Now that's pretty cool. If you were a Jew of the tribe of Judah, you never got to go in there. It was prohibited. But now something's changed. Now there has been a change of priesthood. Hebrews 7, 12. And where that is the case, there's a change of law. And so, he says, By a new and living way, which he inaugurated us for us through the veil. That is his flesh. The shadow, talked about in Hebrews 10, 1, he's starting to explain, because what separated the holy place with the bread of the presence, the table of showbread, the lampstand, and the altar from the Ark of the Covenant, which was behind the veil. Only the high priest went into that once a year. Not even Levitical priests went into it. And he says, you can come on. He says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, whenever he died, remember the veil was ripped from top to bottom? It exposed the holy place and the holy of holies to the outside. He said, Here's the work that is done. He says, because we have this, he says, let us draw near. We're going to take a look at this passage a little more as we move through this. With a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Now, you, you see the banners on that, on that west wall over there. Faith, open, love. You can track faith, open, love through every book of the New Testament. And you can find... Where it's used, where it's not used, and you can figure out what the writers are trying to get across. Now, the writer of Hebrews hasn't talked about that much yet, but in Hebrews 11, by faith, that's the, that's the passage of faith with the superheroes of the faith, by faith. 
And so here he's, he is his lead in. And he says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's a picture of salvation. Now keep this faith going. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. See, here's where the writer of Hebrews, under the ministry of the Spirit, brings together faith, hope, and love, and he brings them together in this passage. And he says, without wavering, he's going to give a picture of Abraham in the next chapter who didn't waver in the faith. Without wavering, for he, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. See that one another? Once again, it keeps popping up. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. He says, let's get together. What was going on in, in uh, about 65, 66 A.D.? When he's writing this thing, and he's writing it to Jews, primarily centered in Jerusalem, who refused to leave and go into all the world like the Lord told them to. What's getting ready to happen is 70 A.D. Persecution is increasing. Nero is on the throne. He is boiling Christians in oil to light the streets of Rome. This is a bad time. And what did he tell them to do? Oh, you might as well just put it off and not assemble together anymore. He said, not forsaking our own assembling together. As is the habit of some. But see this little word, encouraging one another. I've heard this verse quoted so many times by people, not forsaking our own assembling together, but what do you do when you assemble together? Encouraging one another. It's not just for teaching. It's not just for praise and worship. We come together to encourage one another. And he says, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Now, for them, by interpretation, it was 70 A.D. By application, it is the next great prophetic event. When you see the day, because you hear the day of the Lord, you hear the day of the rapture, there are certain days that have been set aside and ordained in history to happen. This, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. If you don't know you're going to be there, it's an arrogant statement. How are you going to know if you're going to be there? Well, because he said, if you believe in my son, you'll never die. Yeah, you're going to be with me. That's what's said, John 3, verse 16, 18, 36. Check it out. If you believe in my son, you're going to be there. So I can sing that song with all the gusto and clapping. And we are anemic at clapping along with songs. We just always have been. Um, we may have to try that as a closer and see if we can do a little bit better with it. But... <clears throat> I love that song, the old time song, and you just can't help but tap your toe a little bit. And, you know, so <laughs> anyway, as you see the day drawing near, we are blessed to live in what I believe is the last generation of the church age. We are blessed. Is the day drawing near? Oh, I could run through some prophecy with you for the next three hours easily. 
because it's all coming together. It's all coming together. Everything that was forecast in Daniel in Matthew 24 in the book of Revelation, it's all coming together. And if we just look at that, we go, is the day drawing near? I firmly believe so. So what should we do? Be scared away from assembling with one another? I've talked and, and you know, been with young people. Uh, Vietnam back in 97, 98. And we were there and we had about 20 of them together and had the whole floor of a hotel rented so we could meet together and do a Bible class without getting in trouble. And all those kids, I call them, I think they were all 30 or so, all of them had been in jail. For what? Singing too loud to the Lord. Praising the Lord. They were meeting together. That's, that's what they did. Quite frequently, whenever they get together, they don't all show up at once like we do. Now, you can tell we start at 9.15 and 10.30 sometimes. Because some of you are here and we have good time and fellowship and all this other stuff. But in a lot of Bible churches, you know what happens? At 9.14, people show up. <laughs> and then, sometimes, it's gone so fast after the, the final amen, it looks like the raptures happen and the pastor has been left. Because that's just, that's the way it is. They're on the clock and on the time instead of, you know, why do we have 30 minutes for uh, a break in between? It's designed for fellowship with one another. We live, we're scattered all over this, this part of the metro. Uh, you know, and so people come from long distances here. So it's not like we're going to go down the street to go together and get to church. We, they come for long distances. So why not make the most of the time we have? just makes sense. Because, yeah, there's a lot of folks undergoing difficulties and trials and things like that. And you're able to just say, well, how is how is so-and-so? How's your mom doing? How's your brother doing? We're able to just have a real conversation with people. So this is Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. Now, encouragement is the kind of expression that helps someone want to be a better Christian, even when life is rough. And needless to say, there's encouragement that's good and encouragement that's bad. And the only way we know the difference is know what the book says. We need to know what the book says. The mind of Christ needs to be part of us because we need to encourage one another, as it said, to love and good deeds. That's what we're called to do. And so, oh, by the way, it says stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And stimulate is a word that means to cause friction. Okay? And I know we all love that. But sometimes we, <laughs> we need to be reminded that that's what we're supposed to do. Now, we have to meet together. We're going to take this, this passage apart. There are many words used in the New Testament to describe the functioning body of Christ. And what believers are to do for one another. But no word is more frequently used than parakaleo. Used 109 times. And that means to call alongside. Parakaleo is a verb. And it's put together by two words. Kaleo is a Greek 101 word meaning to call. That's what it is. And para means alongside. So encouragement is not being, not about... Leading, and it's not about following. 
it in a sense is saying, okay, let's join together. Because we should be following the path with our eyes fixed on Jesus, following Christ, and we need to invite people to come alongside with us. This big race that we're called to win, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, run the race to win. We are not running against other Christians. We are running with other Christians. We are running against the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's who we're running against. So we want other Christians, we want Christians to cross the line with us at the same time. That's the, that's the, the thought process behind that. The most comprehensive instruction in the New Testament regarding encouraging one another is that passage we just read in Hebrews 10. The passage will help us understand what it means to encourage one another. And that passage includes the setting. Okay, It includes the objectives, why do you meet together, and the primary means for this mutual process of encouraging one another. So first we're going to look at the setting. Encouraging one another, what is the setting? The setting for encouraging one another is meeting together, which we are not to forsake, as is the habit of some. And that was Hebrews 10.25. Now forsake, <clears throat> sometimes people can get so legalistic about it that they, that they, they don't have any life or ministry. Now, <clears throat> I... How often? It does not say, does it? doesn't say. So we don't want to be legalistic about it. We've had people through the course of Trinity Bible Church over the last 30 years, and some people came out of some different churches and stuff that were real legalistic, and by golly, if you didn't show up at the 18 times the church met, then you were just out of fellowship and no good. That was legalism. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. It doesn't say how often a church is supposed to meet. It doesn't have anything to say about it. It's just saying don't make it a consistent practice to not meet with people. Okay? Now, sometimes there are physical problems. And we understand those. So it's, you, can, you can meet in different ways. It's not saying you have to be here. You have to... I, I know a pastor that... Uh, bless these hearts with the Lord right now. And they had, he had a church in his house. They had a basement. And in that basement, they, uh, they had, uh, uh, that's where the church met with all the tables and everything else. Had a big basement that was down there. And it was stairs to get down to the bottom. And he got cancer and could not walk anymore. So they carried his hospital bed down there propped the bed up and he taught from the hospital bed. Okay? Now he might have been able to take a little time off and the Lord would have still been happy. But I want to thank the Lord for his encouragement that says, even when I'm not feeling good, I'm still going to do what God has called me to do. And so he, he did that. Bob Norton up in Kansas. So he was uh, uh, he knew the importance of getting together. And we need to do that. And again, it's not that every time the church doors open, but it should be a consistency to it. The ever-present theme of the New Testament is the importance of the functioning body of Christ. 
Now, sometimes we don't see the forest for the trees. Who did the epistles, the letters, get written to? Churches. Right? What was a church? The letter of the church at Ephesus. It was an assembly of believers. Exactly what it was. So it is, it is talking about that. Now, Ephesians chapter 4 if we were to go back a little earlier in the chapter, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastor teachers, purpose for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ. And he says then, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. He's just talked about gifts, right? And he's talking about the proper working of each individual part. Causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So the ever-present theme is the functioning body of Christ. It is. And you know, bodies need exercise. Uh, some of you, like me, it's harder and harder to exercise. But we still need exercise. We don't need to quit and give up on it what about the objectives here we are in verse 22 encouraging one another in the objectives we should grow in our faith Hebrews 10 22 let us draw near with a sincere heart and a full assurance of faith we want to draw near to the Messiah in the first class was a comment about about love and love and, and a relationship with God is not just having a notebook full of his characteristics. It's realizing that he's a person. Now, how do we realize that he is a person? We'll probably do it without even thinking about it at times because a lot of us have been, been around the horn for a long time and studying the word. And you, when you start seeing him work in places, when you're looking for him to work in places, then you see more and more that he is a real personal being who wants a relationship with you and everyone else. That's who he is. When you see him answer prayer with a yes, sometimes miraculously. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says not yet. Sometimes he's... In, but we see him work all things together for good to those who love God. If you're not looking for it, you'll never see it. And as you do that, you're going to know more and more that, that there, there's a man behind the curtain. <laughs> there really is. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. We should grow in our faith. Now, faith is an essential ingredient in our relationship with God. Hebrews 11:6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. We wake up with a sin nature wanting to please ourselves. That is a normal way that we wake up. To want to please somebody else requires training. It requires paying attention to what is going on. Paul said we make it our ambition to please him in all respects. Sometimes people do good to other people because they get warm fuzzies whenever they do good to other people. And it comes back to them and they feel so good and you know, we've just been through Christmas and 
people go to help other people, and I'm happy that they do, and they interview them, and they say, what, what's good about that? Well, I feel so good about it. This is not about us feeling good. Us feeling good is a byproduct. But it's about trying to help someone else feel better, to help them in, in our service. Without faith, that what, who he is, what he says, what we should do, it's impossible to please him. Faith is defined in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the assurance See, so there's a, there's a realization, the assurance of things that are hoped for. Now, do you hope to be in heaven? Yeah, but where's the assurance? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Okay, so faith says, that's where I'm going to be. When the roll is called up yonder, I will be there. And that's a statement based on what the book says. Not what the songwriter said or not what any of us says. That's what, what the book says. It is the conviction of things not seen. Had that conversation last week with somebody because faith that is seen is not faith. And whenever we get to heaven, guess what? It's not going to be about faith. It's going to because we're going to see it all. We're going to see it all. For by it men of old gained approvals, what it says. So that's what faith is. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now a growing and deepening faith reflects that God is not merely an academic idea, but is personal. And he wants a relationship with us. He wants a relationship with us. Now a lack of relationship is not his fault. It's just not his fault. It's our fault. James 4.8, we covered that not too long ago. Draw near to God, condition, and he will draw near to you, promise. You don't draw near to God. You don't say, I want to know you. I want to know you better. I want to know every part of you. Read the Psalms and read David. Okay? David is one of those guys that just poured out his emotions through those Psalms but what did he what did he want? I want to know you. Paul shared the same thing in Philippians three, our New Year's Day message. To know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know you. And so David learned by drawing closer, and David was a mess. We how's David a man after God's own heart and live the life he did? I love David because he messes with all kinds of people. Some people say, well, you have to do this to prove you're saved. What about David? Okay, He, he, he messes up theologies really fast. Uh, he messes up legalisms really fast. He messes up a lot of things. And here David is a, is a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he, want, he search me, try me, and see if there's any evil way in me. That was his request. Now, God already knew. <laughs> David said, show me. Show me where I am not walking in a way that is pleasing to you. That is drawing near to God. And in spite of all of his goose-ups, I think that when he finally passed, it was dying grace. He was, he was ready to walk into the presence of the Lord. 
and and he was he was blessed to do it. Though he's an invisible spirit, he's a real person to whom we can communicate and relate with feeling and warmth. So one of the things that I was taught early on in seminary is anthropopathisms and anthropomorphisms. And anthropopathisms were often used to try and take all the emotion out of God. That's honestly what happened. And I got to thinking about it, and I kept getting hit with stuff like, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And how do you translate grieve without an emotion? How do you explain grieve without an emotion being being used? Because we all know what grief is about. We've all tasted it and touched it and experienced it at some point in our life. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Huh. Does it make him so sad that he boohoos and all that? It grieves him. That's what it says. I believe that God has emotions, but what we can't grasp is that he has them perfectly. He uses them perfectly every time. How about the wrath of God? Wrath is an emotion, isn't it? I know none of us have ever had wrath. We've been angry a little bit from time to time. But wrath is, means you're not just mad, you are real mad for a long period of time. It's a Greek word orge, and it means an extended period of thumos, which is anger. And so, does, does he have? Yes. He is not pleased with sin. And there are times that he says in history, he says, that's it, you've gone far enough. And you can look at the flood, you can look at Sodom and Gomorrah, you can look at the Jews. There are times that he says the grace is run out here. But he is a person. We need to realize that this almighty we have is not an impersonal force that guides the universe with the Star Wars type of, of thought process. That's not who he is. Hence, when we come together regularly, we're to encourage one another to approach God in this way, meaning to trust him for every detail of our lives and as we do, we will grow together in faith. It's just like a husband and wife. The closer they get to the Lord, the closer they're going to get together. That's the way it works. When one of them takes off in a direction other than the Lord, okay, they grow apart. That's the way it works. So how about a church? Because when a church, is, each person gets closer to the Lord, the closer together they're going to get. There's no other, no other way for it to happen. So as we, as we do this, we, we grow together in our faith. And that's what a church should be. One time we did a study not too long ago. And it was, uh, it was kind of a summary of one of Dr. Crabb's books called The Safest Place on Earth. And it was about what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be the safest place on earth for people to come and be blessed. Not to be judged by Pharisees and legalists and everything else. It's a place where people are to be able to come, have fellowship with one another, and to grow together. Now we should also grow in our hope. Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Because he who promised is faithful. Now our faith is affected by mutual encouragement and so is our hope 
So as we come together, I'm, I, you know, I am fully convinced that the rapture is going to be before the seven years of tribulation. I believe that's a cause of great encouragement. And it wasn't because I said it. <laughs> it's because Paul said it. In 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, Kelvin read verse 16 and 17 there about the trumpet will sound and all will be caught up together with this. In verse 18 it says, Comfort one another with these words. The word comfort is, guess what? Parakaleo. The rapture is supposed to be a word of encouragement. That's what it's designed. And especially for those who are hurting over the loss of a loved one. Okay? That's what it's designed for. So, our faith is affected by mutual encouragement and so is our hope. Whereas faith relates more to the present, hope has more of a relationship to the future. Because faith is really hope about the future. It's hope about the future. It's when the roll is called up yonder, I know I'll be there. You know, and sadly some people can't say sing that, uh, honestly. Some more thinking, well, when the roll is called upon yonder, I hope I'll be there if I've done enough works. Or when the roll is called up yonder, I hope I'll be there because I'm one of the elect of eternity past, I think. How about when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there because the book says it. Okay? that That's what makes sense. That's where our faith is. That's where our faith is. Though one is built on the other, it's possible to be strong in faith and to be weak in hope. How do we know that? 1 Thessalonians 1.3 Second book, written by Paul of the New Testament, third book of the New Testament, and he talks to this church of Thessalonica about their labor of love, their steadfastness of, of hope, and their uh, patience. In love, their labor of love, steadfastness of hope, and patience toward things. Faith, hope, and love. And then he goes on to say in verse 7, they're a model church. They're a type. So we know that a model church is based on its faith, hope, and love, not on its buildings and its structures and its finances and all that. That's not what a model church is measured by from God's standard. Now, when you read 2 Thessalonians, he commended the church on their faith and love, but not their hope. Why? What did he spend 2 Thessalonians doing? Somebody had told them that the day of the Lord had come, and they missed it. Okay? That will affect your hope, won't it? <laughs> if you're expecting to go at the rapture that he wrote about in 1 Thessalonians and you don't go and somebody says it's come and gone and you're out of luck. You were left behind. Okay? Then guess what? Your hope's going to be kind of shaken. And so he writes them in 2 Thessalonians to rebuild their hope. And you will find a similar thing going on throughout the New Testament. When you read Colossians, they are commended on their faith, hope, and love. Whenever you read, uh, let's see, Corinthians, oh, what a honk that is. You read Corinthians and you find Paul commend, Paul always open with commending somebody on something. And what did he commend them on? 
He commended them on, on the fact they had all the spiritual gifts. Okay, What they didn't have was faith, hope, and love. <laughs> That's what they didn't have. But he commended them on the fact they had all the spiritual gifts, which they didn't earn or deserve, which he will go ahead to prove in chapters 12 through 14. But there is Paul. They're anything but a model church. But he gives them the information throughout so they can become a model church. And you'll, you'll find that's pretty well his theme throughout. It's possible to be strong in the faith, Thessalonians. But yet, concerning faith toward the future, you can get weakened. It can be damaged. It can be harmed. So, that is Paul. We should grow in our hope. And you can guess what the next one is. We should grow in our love. Hebrews 10.24 Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Think, that means think about it. Now let's take this right back to the closest relationships on earth. Should start in a marriage. Husband wants, <laughs> wants the love coming his way. Wife wants the love going their way. And the deal it's left to both of us. Let us consider and we start considering others more important than ourselves. And then we start thinking about what can we do to stimulate them to love and good deeds. How can we help our spouse? It's a different picture or perspective. If we don't have a spouse, then we start saying, what can I do to help others? What can I do to help my neighbor? How can I do that to stimulate other people to love and good deeds? But it says there, let us consider it. That we got to think about it. Logizomai, we got to logic it out. we got to figure out how to do it and put a plan to it. That's what we're called to do. We need to grow in our love. Now, this has given us a bit to chew on over the course of the next week. So while you're socked in with these three to six inches of snow on Tuesday, okay, uh, while that's happened, just go ahead and think, what did that crazy bald-headed preacher say last Sunday? And try to pull that out. Don't look at the notes. Try to <laughs> from the first session, maybe the second session again, and um, uh, try to get that to work. Let's pray. Father, it's been a good day. Once again, we thank you for your blessings, for your test. We thank you for your opportunities. And Father, we just um, thank you so much for this amazing plan that your son came and paid a debt we couldn't pay. And he said, whosoever believes in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. We're told there's no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. And only Jesus has earned the right of being called worthy. So, Father, I pray that we will be carriers of the message. This great message of good news that Jesus Christ paid for our sins so that through faith in him we can have eternal life. We thank you for the confidence in knowing and when that roll is called, we will be there. Let us always give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.